Right, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Now this may surprise you, but I am not a fan of the word God. Now, not God himself, mind you, <clears throat> but the actual word God. It bothers me. It bothers me because God, get this, is not a name. It's not a proper noun. Rather, it's a common noun, kind of like dog or table or plant, which makes the word a fairly loosey-goosey term, a big, broad, and blurry concept that people can easily make to mean just about anything that they want it to mean. In fact, whenever someone uses that word, I always like to ask myself, which God are you talking about? Because it's a word that's so pliable that just about everyone can believe in God as, as they can define that word any way they want. And even those who don't believe in God, well, the God that they don't believe in is rarely that interesting anyway. I recall many years ago reading a wonderful textbook on the background of the New Testament, but I quickly found myself being annoyed that the author always used the word God without a capital G. It drove me nuts. Why doesn't this guy respect the creator of the universe? Why doesn't he capitalize the word God? Well, I discovered later that it was because he was highlighting the very point that I'm trying to make right now, that the word God is not a name, it's a common noun, which means it's abstract, it's vague, it's generic, it's open to a variety of different reference. Again, to which God are you referring? In fact, that's a question I would encourage you to start asking yourself whenever you hear someone speak of God. To which God are they referring Perhaps you even ought to ask yourself that question whenever you speak that word. To which God am I referring? Could this be a God of my own making? I suppose you might even ask this question about our church's mission statement. A statement that is not even explicitly Christian. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Sharing in the life of God for the life of the world. Now, I, I like that statement. It just needs some unpacking but it does the job. However, have you noticed that a non-Christian could affirm this statement? Why? Because the word God is left undefined. To which God are you referring? Our service today even begins with that word God. The very first words that were spoken. Blessed be God. Of course, I hope you notice that this bland and generic word is then immediately filled out and given sharper definition. Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ah, there it is. That's the God to which we are referring. The triune God of Christianity, what we call the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, you start talking about the Trinity, and you discover that this is a concept that tends to puzzle, if not trouble, 
your average churchgoer. I mean, yes, the Trinity does specify what we mean by God, but it also so mystifies our understanding of God that we tend to avoid talk of the Trinity altogether. I mean, let's just stick with something simple. And so most of us are comfortable talking about God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. That's to whom we address our prayers at bedtime and around the dinner table. And then, of course, we're also fine to switch gears and speak of Jesus as our Redeemer, the one who died on the cross for our sins. That makes sense. Some of us will even go a bit further and invoke the person and power of the Holy Spirit from time to time. But then to put it all together into this complex and mysterious doctrine called the Trinity, well, that's another matter altogether. That's for the scholars and the theologians to parse out and to pontificate about. That's for those high-sounding sermons delivered once a year on this day, Trinity Sunday. But certainly, it's not for an everyday on the ground kind of Christianity. Well, let us all beg to differ. Because without the Trinity, what happens is we lose Christianity altogether. Without the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're just left with that word, God. A word that in and of itself will never do. Because we can always fashion that malleable thing into whatever our heart so desires. For without the Trinity we lose the clearest picture of who God is and what God is like because it's the Trinity that gives us Jesus. Or let's put it the other way around. It's because of Jesus that we have the doctrine of the Trinity in the first place. People thought they had a good grasp of who God was and what he was up to, that is, until Jesus came along. And then... After listening to what Jesus said, after watching him at work, seeing him die upon a cross and then rise from the dead, well, we had to start to completely revise our notions of who God is, didn't we? But not only that, then this Jesus, he spoke of another, one whom would, he would send to his followers, one who would comfort and empower them, one who would somehow enable Jesus to be present with his disciples to the very end of the age. And then on Pentecost, last week, it happened. The Holy Spirit descends and gives birth to the church as God comes to dwell with his people. Yes, it's all quite fascinating and head-scratching and wonderful, but it also demands explanation. I mean, what's going on here? What, who is this God that is now revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And more importantly, what does this even mean for us today? I'm not sure how much of this was apparent to the prophet Isaiah that day when he sees the Lord sitting upon his throne high and lifted up. Remember this? With his robe falling from the sky and filling the temple? Probably not much. Now, don't get me wrong, this was certainly a glorious sight for Isaiah to behold, so much so that he assumes his life is about to come to an end. But I do know that this vision of God dramatically unfolds centuries later with the New Testament. And so, for example, the Apostle John begins his gospel by making this 
controversial statement. He says, no one has ever seen God, but it is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Excuse me, I hear the prophet Isaiah saying in the back, raising his hand in objection. What do you mean no one has ever seen God? Are you saying that I never saw what I saw? The Lord of hosts sitting on his heavenly throne? Well, I imagine John would say, yes, I believe you did in fact see God that day. But compared to what we have now witnessed in the person of Jesus, what you saw was like seeing the light of the sun reflected off the side of the moon. I mean, it's pretty spectacular, no doubt, but not even close to beholding the radiance of the sun itself. But with Jesus, John would say, we have now seen the sun. No one has ever seen God like this. And then John goes on to tell the story of another Jewish leader who, who longs to encounter God, a man named Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night with a long list of questions, only to be told that to see this God, he must be born of the Spirit. He must be born from above, that is, adopted into a new family. And so Isaiah's vision unfolds once more. Not only do we have God the Father, not only God the Son, but now we have God the Holy Spirit. And with this fuller vision of who God is, now we are given an invitation. An invitation to share in the life of this threefold community. An invitation to be a part of this divine family of love. Yes, you too, Nicodemus, can see God by being born into this family. Did you hear how the Apostle Paul picks up on these ideas in his letter to the Romans? There in chapter 8, Paul speaks of those of us who have accepted this invitation. Those of us who have now been adopted by the Spirit so that we have become children of God. So that now we are a part of God's family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we see that this flimsy word, God, is beginning to solidify a bit for us. It seems that God is not just some ambiguous and abstract principle, a vaguely benevolent being who sits high in the clouds, rarely to come down to get his hands dirty to help anything, help us here down on earth. No, now it seems that this God, this Trinity, is more like a family. A family who has come to us as orphans. A family with his arms flung wide open, always on the lookout to adopt more and more children into his family. This God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is always inviting us to share in the life and the love that has always and forever been shared among the three persons of this God we now know as Trinity. In fact, as I told the children, when you think of Trinity, or for that matter, whenever you hear that loosey-goosey and overused word God, you should automatically think family. Or better yet, think a family invitation. 
For to behold God as Trinity is to receive a family invitation, an invitation into God's life. How then might we accept that invitation? How might we share in the life of the Trinity? This is what I want to invite the kids to come back uh, to the front, please, and gather by this candle stand. We call this a votive candle stand where we pray to God. We light candles as a gesture, a symbol of our prayer request. You'll come over here. We're going to look at this icon, this picture on the wall. I don't know how many of you have noticed this picture before. Yeah, come over here. Make sure you can see this picture right there in the middle. That was painted by a Russian painter 600 years ago. Not that actual one. That's a copy. Can everybody see that? 600 years ago, his name was Andrei Andre Rublov, all right? And he painted this picture of, you know what that is a picture of? Anybody? Yeah, Kina. It looks like angels, doesn't it? Because there's wings there. In fact, it is. He does, he does kind of uh, uh, take his starting point as the angelic visitors to Abraham. But actually, this is a picture of God. Isn't that interesting? Usually when we think of God, we think of one person, don't we? But Andre Rubloff painting this icon reminds us that God is what? Trinity. Father is on the left. Look at the Father. Son is in the middle. And then you have the Spirit on the right. Now, notice, that, what are they sitting around? Yeah, a table. That's right. Usually when you sit at a table, you're usually uh, getting to know people. You're talking, you're fellowshipping, you're sharing a meal, right? And so that, is, that represents that they, they are in a relationship with each other, that they love one another. Now, notice, how many sides does a table normally have? Yes, Eli. Four. That's right. So if there are three persons there and there are four sides of the table... How many sides is open? One. It's on, and it's on our end, isn't it? So that icon, that picture is meant to call us into the life of God, to sit down at the table with this family, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, I want you to notice what is sitting on the top of that table, in the middle of the table. Yes, Weston. A, a fish? It kind of looks like a fish. It does. What else might that be? Yes, Kina. Jesus' blood. It looks like a bowl, but it's really a chalice with Jesus' blood in it, right? What does that make you think of? When do we partake of, uh, of the blood of Christ? Yeah. At communion, right. And so that's meant to be a picture that the church is able to fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit around, look at this table. At this table right here when we have communion together. As the church comes and partakes of this meal with Father, Son, and Spirit. So remember, Trinity is family. And remember, God as family is always inviting us to encounter and love God. And that we do that primarily when we come together as a family, as a church, as we gather around this table, as we care for one another and serve one another, we get to share in the life of God. Isn't that a pretty neat image that reminds us that Trinity is family? And he invites us to dine with him. Let's praise the Lord for that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son and giving us your spirit so that we may sit down at your table through the blood of Jesus and fellowship with you and get to know you, the creator of the universe, and especially get to know you as we share life with other brothers and sisters in Christ, with those around us. Reveal yourself to us more and more, especially as we gather around this table here in a moment. We pray this. Everybody, we pray this in the name, ready, of the 
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. Y'all go back and sit, uh, sit with your folks.